Father, as we come before your word, Lord, may we submit to it. We have worshipped, and Lord, we now want to hear your heart, and I pray that uh, you would speak through this donkey, and uh, Father, that you would be glorified, and that your message would come clearly for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we started a series on marriage, Uh, addressing this marriage topic is an emotional issue, and uh, I appreciate many that I've talked with this week are deeply concerned because there is just a general awareness that, you know, not not all marriages are doing well under this roof. Um, regardless of what people look like, how they dress and the smiles that they wear, um, not all marriages are doing well. And I love the fact that God has raised up within this body those who have um, an empathy towards those who are struggling in this very, very important area. So, Um, I want to encourage us to hang in there and to realize that there is a lot of pain and many carry wounds that are very new or very old, but regardless of whether they are new or old, they're raw. So, but we need to acknowledge that this is not just a painful topic, it is also a very confusing topic. I had a very humorous email from a dear brother of mine who I promised would remain nameless if you let me share this one excerpt from his email. And he said, okay, go for it. I'm glad I can be useful. And uh, he wrote this to me. He said, your sermon was a revelation. This is a gentleman who had been married for many, 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 many years. All right. Your sermon was a revelation to me. All I knew that God had ordained, all, all, although I knew that God had ordained marriage, I had no idea of what I was really supposed to know. And I find that many people uh, find themselves in that space. So today we are entering the starting gate. Last week was basically understanding the fact that this is a divine covenant. It's not a contract. It's not something where if both parties check off the right boxes, then you continue forward. As long as you continue to check off those boxes, it's much different than that. It is a divine covenant. And whether you realize it or not, when you enter into this divine covenant, God is the originator of this covenant. And when you enter into it, it's His house, His rules. Whether you are a Christian or not, you enter into marriage, it's his house, his rules. And I hope that we all understand that. Because understanding this will bless us or not understanding it or understanding it and ignoring it will break us. So it will bless us or it will break us. And as I look around society... 
I see blessing and I see a lot of breakage. And people have no idea as to why. It's because they're like this gentleman. I had no idea what I was really supposed to know. So understanding this divine covenant is critical. And we talked about that last week. And if you would like, you can go on the, uh, the internet on the website. And it's up for all those who would like to, uh, to listen. I want us to also understand that as we look at the framework starting today and next week, and the week after that, uh, but this week's sermon turned into two more. <laughs> so it just happens that way. Um, as we look at the framework of what God expects us to know, um, I want us to understand that it applies not just to marriage, but it really also at a deeper level applies to all of community. For right in the middle of this passage of Ephesians 5, 21 through 32, he says, I'm talking about the church. So whatever I say about marriage is really drawn out of a broader perspective and understanding of how we are to treat one another within the body of Christ. But he just takes and he kind of pulls it down a little tighter down into the funnel and he says, well, let's apply this to marriage. So uh, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. So if you are married, understand that this applies not just to you, but also to the body of Christ. If you're not married, but you want to be, understand that this applies to marriage. You need to become that person that, um, that God is calling you to be as revealed in this framework, in this passage. And the practice place with, is actually within the body of Christ. So keep that in mind. So today we are going to deal with one verse. <laughs> On Monday I started putting this together. I got to share this. On Monday I started putting this together. And uh, I had my passage. And I was just going to mention verse 21 like I promised I would last week, but really focus in on, 20, on, on the rest of the passage. And God says, no, no, no. What about what I think about 21? Well, God, I think I know what you think about 21. I'll share that. He says, no, you have no idea what I think about verse 21. You just think you do, Shlomer. So do you want to share what I want you to share? Or do you want to share what you're going to share? All right, God, we'll back it up. So we've got verse 21. That's all he wants us to share this is about this, is this morning is verse 21. Paul writes, Submit to one another. And let me pause right there. And he says, each man... And each woman, right here, right now, from this point forward, is the idea. Each man, each woman, it's not your wife, it's not your husband, it's not your friend, it's not your buddy. It's you. No one else is in that circle but you. Right here, right now. From this point forward, make a choice. Make a choice to submit to one another. Or what I call mutual submission to one another. Remember, this is a mirror 
of what Christ did with the Father and in many ways what the Father does with Christ. That sense of mutual deference, mutual submission to one another. I want to start out by saying, coming out of this, the first thing I want to point out is mutual submission is an act of leadership. Now, what does submit to one another have in the world to do with leadership? Why would I call that leadership? And it's this reason. No one can make me submit to another person. In the Bible, in the biblical sense, submission is my choice. I cannot make you submit to me. And I'm not really ever commanded to go to another person and say, you must submit to me. Now, I may do that jokingly, and I may have done that seriously early on in my marriage, but I quickly learned that was a dumb thing to do. It was not wise. Grasshopper. So, this call to mutual submission is really an act of what I would call self-leadership. Coerced submission is not submission. If I come alongside you and say, you must submit, that's not, the fruit of that is not submission, that is servitude. That is servitude. And Jesus said, this is what Gentiles, pagans do, the Romans do to other people. It's not what happens within the kingdom of God. We don't use our positions, be it a husband with a wife, or a wife with a husband, or a pastor with a congregation. We don't use it to oppress others. We can teach about submission. We can read about submission, mutual submission from Scripture, which we need to and we must. But we take our instruction from Scripture. That becomes our motivation. And it's very important for us to understand that within the body of Christ. But it's also extremely important that we understand that within the context of marriage. In Moreno Valley, where I first entered into marriage, um, excuse me, in uh, ministry, my marriage began in Bullhead City. Two o'clock in the afternoon, by 5.30, we were out of there. Never went back. Except to visit. Where was I going? Oh, there was, <laughs> there was a young couple in, in Moreno Valley in, my, in our church there. And he had this attitude that says he must instruct his wife to submit. She didn't appreciate this. And so when she refused, he would come running to John, the senior pastor. And said, my wife will not submit. I tell her to and she won't do it. Would you go do something, Daddy? Would you go tell her she needs to submit? 
he was just missing something that Paul is trying to get to us here. And lest some of you think women don't do it, women do it too. My husband won't lead. My husband's not the kind of man that I that he promised and he thought I thought he would be and he promised to be on the day of marriage. Would you go fix him? Oh, I've tried that. It doesn't work. I've tried to fix women too. It doesn't work. All right. But submission is an act of self-leadership. No one can make you submit. So Paul is calling us to every man, every woman, right here, right now, from this point forward, to make a choice. To make a choice. To mutually submit to one another. So you may be wondering, well, how does this play out in marriage? We'll get to that next week. But until then, what is submission? Mutual submission or submission is my choice to renounce my self-interests so that I may willingly and eagerly let me say it again, willingly and eagerly everyone say it with me, willingly and eagerly right, you all up for that? <laughs> willingly and eagerly serve the needs of another person. To serve the needs of another person. Submission is my choice to renounce my self-interests so that I may willingly and eagerly serve the needs of another person. This is the general principle that governs the body of Christ that Paul is going to, starting next week, funnel right down into our marriage relationships. Well, what does that mean? It's not that I think less of myself as a servant who submits. It's just that I think less about myself. Kind of put my interests aside so that I may willingly and eagerly, say it again, and eagerly serve the needs of another person. What in the world would motivate me to do such a dumb thing? To put my needs aside. What about me? To put my desires aside. What about me? To put my agenda aside. What about me? To put my hopes, my dreams, everything that is within me that I look to for the future, to lay that aside so that I can go and serve somebody else? What in the world would motivate me to do such a thing like that? Paul says, submit to one another out of, this is the point of orig, or, or, uh, or, origination, the point of origin, it's the idea. So submit to one another out of or because of their willingness to serve you meet your expectations. 
So when they do that, then you do this. Is that what he says? No. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Reverence for Christ. Say that with me. Reverence for Christ. Say it again. Reverence for Christ. That becomes the all-consuming motivation that fuels my willingness to serve the other person. To willingly and eagerly set aside my self-interest, my agendas, my hopes, and my dreams so that I might serve another person, the needs of another person, is motivated by reverence for Christ. Reverence is a term of worship. And what Paul is calling them to as they begin to head into this section on marriage, out of this great instruction for all of the body of Christ, is a call to worship. Not by singing songs, and not by praying prayers, at least in this immediate context, it's by my standing up and putting a towel around my waist and walking up and being willing to wash the feet of another person, knowing that the Lord has put the choice into my hands. And I can make a choice to walk away or I can make a choice to serve another person. You see how this relates back to Christ? It's a willingness to serve the needs of the other person and it's motivated by worship. So, my second point is this. My choice reveals whom I worship. My choice to mutually submit, to submit to another person by serving another person, reveals whom I worship. Do I worship Christ? And do I accept this call to a life of worship through serving? Or do I worship myself? And refuse to put on that towel and serve the needs of another person. See, worship out of or serving others out of that worship, that pool, it's like a pool. Worship is the pool that feeds, that fuels, that motivates my choices. And in this case, it motivates me to serve. To live a life of submission to other people. To be willing to serve them. It nurtures my choice to do so. It fuels my choice to do so. It motivates me to do it. So when you ask the question, why would I want to do that? It's because of worship. 
It comes out of that sense of worship. I mean, it's not just out of a sense of obligation. I got to do it, so therefore I'm going to do it. Well, if, if we serve another person, if we live this life of mutual submission out of a sense of obligation, two things will happen. One is this. Our Christian life will become very, very burdensome and very, very heavy and very, very boring. And you'll walk around with a very, very sad face. And Christ said, Come and follow me, for my burden is light. <laughs> well, it doesn't feel that way, Jesus. I got this mutual submission, and Martin just beat me up this morning. I got to go and serve my wife. I got to set aside my needs to watch the football game, and I got to go plant flowers with her. What fun is that? And therefore, it will be very short-lived. But when we have a pool that is fueled by a vibrant reverence for Christ, this call to worship, this engaging in worship, it begins to do something within us. But my submission is motivated by the glorious mercies of Jesus. His life and His example and how He has served me. That's why it's important that I took the time to ask the question, how has Jesus served you? And let's enter into that and let's rejoice in that and let's relish that, let's nurture that because after time of doing that, it begins to change me and make me a different kind of person and motivates me to be willing to do the very thing Jesus said to go and do. When I look at, and I'm captured by Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not require equality or His position as a second member of the Trinity. Equality with God to something to be used for his own advantage. He didn't stand up and say, you boys, you wash my feet. And be sure and get underneath the nails. Because you missed that last time. I know some of you are really freaking and geeking. Oh, image. He didn't use it to his own advantage. Instead, he willingly, he willingly and eagerly, say that again, willingly and eagerly, chose to lay aside his position to take on the very nature of a servant. And when you see the very nature of the servant, he didn't cut corners. He didn't say, I'm going to serve him, but I'm, but I'm going to save these privileges just to kind of give me some comfort. He didn't cut corners. He went all the way. And as a servant, he humbled himself. His choice, self-leadership, 
He humbled himself by going through the mockery of, a, of an illegal trial on trumped-up charges. But as a servant, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death for things that he never did. And by becoming obedient to death, he fully embraced the humiliating death of the cross, of the cross, a death that no Roman citizen was ever allowed to go through because it was that degrading. It was that shameful. When I look at the example and I'm captured by the example of Jesus, how could I not make that choice? Is the idea there to be willing to serve another brother or sister or to be willing to take and serve the needs of my wife? But Mar, you don't understand. She hasn't served me in a while. Doesn't matter. Or to serve the needs of my husband. You don't understand, Martin, if you only knew what he did. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The way that we block that motivation, that sense of reverence for Christ... When I answer the question, when I look at the example of Jesus, how could I not make that choice? Here's what will block that choice when I cease to be captured by worship. His example, His mercies, His grace towards me. When that becomes secondary or tertiary, when that is no longer at the front of my mind and my heart, then what rises up to take its place? My agenda. My desires. My needs. That's the answer to that question. How could I not? When we refuse to submit to one another, especially within the context of marriage, it is a problem that originates in our worship with Christ. It is a gospel problem. It's not a relational problem. You mean, Martin, I can't blame my husband or my wife and say, because they haven't done this, I don't need to do that? No, you can't. Well, you can. It's just not going to deal with the issue. Because the issue is not them. The issue is here. And that's pictured so beautifully and eloquently in John 13. Did Jesus do that for them because of what they did for Him? What's the answer to that question? No. But Father, I don't want to wash their feet. Judas is going to betray me. He's going to be a traitor. Peter... He has no idea what he's going to be going through. And the rest of them are going to run. I don't want to wash their feet. That's not why he was doing it in the first place. My submission, 
my submission rooted in the example of Jesus must own me. That's why Paul says, Paul writes, you should have the same attitude, this mindset towards one another that Christ Jesus had. And the idea is that it must own you. It must be compelling to you. It must be something not that is not legalistic, but something that is drawing you towards others because of what is going on this way. If this isn't happening, this will never happen. Or if it happens, it will be burdensome and boring. That's what will happen. That's become our preoccupation this is why it's imperative that my submission, I understand that my submission reveals the glories of Jesus because when I submit to my wife by setting aside my agenda so that I may willingly and eagerly serve her needs, when I do that, regardless of what she may or may not have done for me, I reveal the glories of Jesus to her. Why? Because I'm acting like Jesus. I'm reflecting that. It's that pool out of which in my life she drinks. She is able to sip from my life, Jesus. I reveal the glories of Jesus to my wife. I reveal the glories of Jesus to my sons. When I look them in the eye and I say, I want to do this for you. Hi, right, Dad, you want me to mow the lawn again? <laughs> well, if you want to, that would be great. But it has really nothing to do with that. My culture. But Martin, this is all terribly inconvenient. Anybody ever think that way? I could stand on a ladder and do this, I would, because I think it's incredibly inconvenient. And it points very taxing. What about me? What about me? Or I will if he or she will. Problem is, is that's not the criteria by which I make that decision, is it? Based upon whether or not someone has done something for me. I made the criteria by whether or not, on whether or not I make that decision to submit that choice, that self-leadership, is never ever based upon what somebody has done for me. It's based upon only what Jesus has done for me, and I'm captured by that. And I'm saying, yes, let me do this for you. Let me do this for you. Let me do this for you. That's why Jesus didn't make the disciples check off all these boxes before he was willing to put on that towel and kneel down before them and touch the ugliest parts of their body and wash their feet. Martin, I'm not sure if I like it. 
After all, as one person has said to me multiple times over the years of my ministry, I'm not like Jesus. To which I always respond, at least, well, not yet. But you know what Jesus' goal is for our lives? What is it? What's that? Exactly. He says, I'm going to conform you. I'm going to make you like me. Whether you like it or not. (laughs) That's his goal. So I just say, not yet. But understand this. Mutual submission out of even reverence for Christ will, will challenge us to our cores. It will challenge us to our core. To our core. When I think about this and then I wrestle with what my fallen nature wants to do and doesn't want to do, all of a sudden it reveals just how broken my soul is. <laughs> I don't want to do it, God. What, Martin, you got to do I don't want to do it. Out of reverence for me, we worship, we talked about it. I don't want to do it. All right, God, I'll do it. For you. But there's still a percentage of me that says, I don't want to do it. And that's all right. We're working on you. Working on you. It reveals my brokenness. And I must continually admit that I don't want to unless I get something in return. And you know what? That is totally contrary to how God created us. God created us to be life givers to others. Regardless of what we get out of it. He created us that. But remember last week when I said at the fall, everything went from outward focus to inward focus. We imploded in ourselves. And you know what happens when we feed that? We become incredibly selfish. And the more I become selfish, the more I focus upon my own desires, my own selfishness, the more selfish I become. And the more I focus on my own desires, the deeper my selfishness roots itself in my life, in my soul, in my character. And you know what happens as that happens? I become more and more and more unhappy. I become miserable. All in an effort to get what I want, it takes me down the path of misery. But I thought it was going to take me down the path of happiness. You're lying to yourself. You're imploding. And God is saying, I'm trying to renew, recreate, restore your humanity to what I created you to be. But I don't want to. I'm broken. Yeah, I know. You know what? Just stay with me. Preoccupied with me. Begin to obey this. I, my Father, will come and we will be with you. And we'll see you changed. I'm here to tell you folks, I've changed. i still got a lot of change to go. But I've changed. Haven't I changed, honey? You can say that a little more demonstrably. (laughs) Thank you. She's my barometer. How am I doing, baby? 
But this, while it reveals my brokenness, it invites me to humility where I humble myself and I say, God, I'm going to realign myself. And in the same way that as Jesus aligned himself with the Father's will, God in turn exalted him. What's James 4 say? Humble yourself in your brokenness. Weep and wail, and then I will exalt you. You see, the very same thing that happened to Jesus will happen to us. How cool is that? He invites, that ought to get us a, get an applause, all right? That ought to get an applause. He exalts us. He exalts us. That's our hope. He exalts us. When I say, I want what I want, I'm trying to exalt me. But He exalts us. When I try to exalt myself, I go into the basement. When He exalts me, He lifts me up. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And this call, this hope, this sense moves me to deeper obedience. And I enter into progressively recovery of the image that he is seeking to restore in my own soul to his image and right this upside-down ship. And as that happens, it releases the fragrance of Christ within the body of Christ, but for me, more importantly, in my marriage. In my marriage. In my family. It releases the fragrance of Christ which is filled with hope and with joy. And that reignites my vision. Let me read this. I won't read this. Which in turn then reveals my brokenness because the cycle keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper and God goes deeper and deeper and deeper in my life. There is the assumption in all that Paul writes here and that is that if you're going to have a thriving community of faith but also if you're going to have a thriving marriage it begins with submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's where it all begins. So take a moment, and I want to ask you a couple questions just before the Lord. Who can you serve this week? How can you take and become the fragrance of Christ to another brother or sister or even more importantly, within your own home? How can you willingly and eagerly meet the needs of another person? What can you do? Take a moment, just picture in your mind. Remember, it's all out of a reverence for Christ. When will you do it? the Lord talk with him about that mutual submission will not happen if we don't first submit to the Lord if we don't submit 
what he's doing in our lives. Taking that step back and saying, God, it's all about you. And it's going to cost me my life, but it's for your glory. It's an amazing thing. And, and it's a tough process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not like one minute I oh, I submitted. Good, I'm done. <laughs> like, it's a tough process. There's lots of wounds that need to heal. Lots of sores that need some, some covering. And it's a process that we do together because we can't do it alone. And so, you know, make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people as you seek submitting to the Lord, as you seek health within your marriage. You cross this through with someone else. But also, parents, process it through with your, your kids. Because they're going to learn from you. And so just talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly... It's all about us together, growing together towards Christ. Submitting to Him and submitting to one another to bring glory and honor to His name. That's what it's about. Let me just add this to the sermon. In giving away your life, Jesus says you find it. So, there you go. What we think we pursue by trying to grab a hold of our life is really not life as He intended. All right? All right.